Welcome to the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr., where we highlight the uncommon journeys of bridge builders and peacemakers that are living out their faith in the public square by boldly loving their neighbor and working together to build resilient communities. Our goal here on the podcast is to encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, to learn how to better love your neighbor and learn how to relate to one another despite your differences without compromising your faith. My name is Josh Tate and welcome back to the Bold Love Podcast as we come to an end. This is the finale of season three that was themed Unlikely, where we focused on conversations that allows us to hear from those of different faiths, different worldviews, different ideas, and really help shape the way we communicate to one another. What an incredible season. Christine Kane, David Beasley, Imam Muhammad Majid, Ambassador Rabbi David Saperstein, Walter Kim. We had an evangelical roundtable with Micah Freeze and Pastor John Jenkins Sr. and Daniel Yang. And all of these people will be at our Global Faith Forum on March 6th and 7th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss it. There's still time to sign up. So globalfaithforum.com and register. It's free. Seating is limited, but this will be an historic event in Dallas, Texas. So globalfaithforum.com. So on this finale, you will get to meet a very unique team of people. A very unique team. Bob talks with the multi-faith team members of the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. Micah Freeze, who is an evangelical pastor who heads up programs for Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. Huranessa Ferriad, who is a Muslim leader who leads outreach for Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. And Dr. Stephen Grand, who works with MFNN along with being a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. These three incredible leaders will bring a behind-the-scenes look at how a team operates while having different theological perspectives why they moved from significant roles to be a part of this work, and key reasons why they encourage their own tribe to be involved in multi-faith. So I want to go ahead and turn it over to the host of the Bold Love podcast, Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. I am so excited to be here today with Multi-Faith Neighbors Network staff, at least some of them. This is going to be a blast. We have your real-life Christian evangelical pastor, We got your Harvard-educated Jewish think tank Atlantic Council guy, and we have a real, live, Afghan, Muslim, hijab-wearing woman from the East Coast with us. I mean, guys, it cannot get any better than this. Guys, welcome on the program today. It is so much fun working with you guys. You know, I was a pastor for years, and I worked with Christians, and can I just say, I love working with you guys that are Jews and Muslims, and even though you won't let me baptize you, I still love you. And so I'm just honored that you are here today. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Multi-Faith Neighbors Network and what's it like to work with people of different faiths, especially if you're an evangelical. I mean, my word, I am an evangelical Baptist pastor, and I got staff that aren't even the right religion. Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble now. What are we going to do with that? I'll tell you what we're going to do with it. We're going to love our neighbor. We're going to build bridges. We're going to make the world a better place. And we're going to do it with people. It's not about us Christians doing the Jesus thing and saying the hell with everybody else. It's about us Christians living the Jesus life, loving everybody, even if they want to disagree with us. Does that mean we have to compromise on what we believe? No. 
Steve, do you and Hurry have any doubt that I would not love to baptize you if I could? No doubt at all, Bob. <laughs> what about it, Hurry? <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen the 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 baptismal bath area, so <laughs> I think and it's there for you, Hurry. It is waiting for you. <laughs> I see but, the calling. <laughs> but here's the thing: I used to look at people, and I saw them first and foremost as sinners. But the Bible says we're all created in the image of God, and when I look at you. Yeah, you probably sin and you've got a lot of stuff messed up in your life, but I see all of you as beautiful people created in the image of God with that divine spark in you. Hey, Micah, I'm curious about your journey into the multi-faith space. Ever dream you would be leading a staff of non-Christians? No, and I will tell you that it's often a whole lot easier than working with Christians. (laughs) (laughs) What makes it easier? What makes it easier? Well, I mean, I just, you know, one of the things that I love, Bob, about our team is the transparency and authenticity that exists within the team. Everybody knows exactly where we're at theologically, ideologically. We're pretty open about it. We're pretty transparent about it. We're not scared about the fact that everybody believes differently. I mean, not only do we believe things that are different, but at times we believe things that are irreconcilable with one another. And yet we really love the opportunity to work together for the good of our communities. We genuinely love, appreciate, and value one another. There's not a person on our team that I don't just like being around, working together with, can't, you know, teach me incredible things that I love learning from. And so, yeah, I, I think it's fun. And, and I'm like, were you, you nervous Bob. about it? Were you nervous? Yeah, about I was, it? that's what I was going to say. I, I was nervous. I think early on and especially like you, I mean, I grew up Baptist, especially a lot of my growing up years in the South and didn't know any Muslims, didn't know any members of the Jewish community. And um, I, I remember when I got in, involved in multi-faith probably 15 years ago, I was pastoring a church in the Midwest and a mosque was being built in our city and our people at the church were scared. And I called you and I said, Bob, what do I do? And Bob said, do you, you said, do three things, Uh, invite the Imam to go to coffee or a meal, Um, go read, buy a Quran and read it. And by all means, don't go buy a book by white Christian guys about Islam, (laughs) let Muslims teach you what they believe. And so I did those things. And it was interesting. I, I told multiple people this. I went to coffee with the imam, but he, he said, he said, I'll only go to coffee with you if I can bring someone with me. And I said, well, that's fine. Well, come to find out later, the guy he brought with him was functioning as his bodyguard because he was scared of me, the evangelical. And that Whoa. cut me. I mean, that cut me because I thought that's not at all the, the character of Jesus, the way with Jesus engaged with people who disagreed with him. And that's what really kind of started me on the multi-faith journey. I just, I, I began to understand the need for us to engage, to relate to one another, to love one another, to be honest about our differences, to be, I want to, I mean, I'm like you, I want, I am a real evangelical. I mean, on the spectrum of things, a conservative evangelical, but to be able to live in such a way so that we would, with kindness, grace, compassion, can relate to one another, affirm each other's value, dignity, worth, and, and collaborate together for the good of our communities. Hey, Mike, I don't want to go too deep into this, but a quick question. Yeah. What is it about us evangelicals that we don't think we can be friends with people that are non-Christians? I mean, you know, if it's, it's as if, okay, they don't want to convert. Let's just forget them. What's wrong with yeah. us? What's going on? I- I think there's a couple of things there, Bob. One, I would say, I think our, our theology of conversion is is probably too way too limited. We don't we need a bigger theology that's more than just 
the value of people is seen in their ability to convert, right? That we, we have this value we call the, the theology of the Imago Dei, the image of God is in every person. So we need to recapture this idea that people have value and worth regardless of what they believe or practice. All people inherently valuable, even if they believe differently than us. Then I think there's a sociological element too, Bob, in that especially white evangelicals are kind of the 800 pound gorilla in the American room. And evangelicals can function without almost ever interacting with people who profoundly disagree with them. They can have friends who are just like them, play on sports teams with people who are just like them. And because of that, minorities just do a much better job, not only racial minorities, but cultural and religious minorities often do a better job because they're forced to engage with people who are not like them. White evangelicals just don't have to, you know, they don't always have to do that. And so, you know, one of the things that you and I get to do is help bring our friends in the evangelical community along to engage with people who are different than them. And I think because they never have to, a lot of them are just scared of it. It's frightening to them. They don't, I remember yeah. the first time I walked into a mosque, I thought, man, I don't know what to expect. But what's funny is when I talk to our Muslim friends, they're the, they think many of them think the same thing about walking into a church for the first time, <laughs> scared to death of what's going to happen when they walk in the doors. So I think now, there's her- a theological and a sociological issue. Uh, Hernessa. Now, sometimes you'll tweet stuff or put on Instagram. My Baptist pastor boss got me. I don't like you calling me boss. We work uh, together. You don't work for me. We work. We work with one another. But that's got to be weird. A Muslim Afghan woman working for two Baptist preachers. Come on. Does that seem strange to you? I never would have thought that would have happened in my wildest dreams, but (laughs) it's a reality. And I actually get a lot of messages back from my friends and a lot of my followers asking about that relationship and what it's like working with not just, you know, evangelical Christians, but men as well, because you know, the dynamics is so different when you're working with women and in the faith space, you know, that's always an issue for women having a platform to speak. And when I tell them what I came in with thinking, working with evangelicals and what the reality is, it's night and day different. Um, Okay. So what did you come in thinking? Wait, 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 wait. You got me curious now. So what did you come in thinking it was? I was, I was pretty nervous and, and scared because of everything I've read and everything I've, I've been around with, even though Imam Majid will speak a certain way about you and, and the, your community and your church. It's the first time I've ever been to Texas. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to be going to Texas. I'm from New York. Like that just doesn't happen. Right. And then being Afghan and a woman, Muslim, visibly Muslim woman wearing hijab, I, I didn't know what to, what to think. And I really was a bit hesitant I didn't know what the relationship was going to be when I first started working here. Um, I did believe in the work. I knew that it was something I'm passionate about. This is right where I want to be. Like I would, you know, probably dream multi-faith peace building night and day, you know, throughout the day. And so coming in and then experiencing what I've experienced with all of you and even with Steve, I got to learn that, you know, people can come in with their faith as different as it may be and having so many similarities as well. We can learn to respect one another and use our relationship to ameliorate situations, not just in our communities, but across the world as well. You know, it's something that Mike and I always say, you know, we want to change the world. And my supervisor as a evangelical Christian Baptist, <laughs> it's something I never thought in my wildest dream would ever happen because I've always been working in Muslim spaces where my boss and my colleagues were always Muslim. But working as staff in an organization like Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, 
really exemplifies that ability to cross boundaries with people and work with people who are so different than us, but have mutual respect. I mean, we're constantly chatting and texting, even texting you when I need something or something's going wrong and you reply. And that in itself exemplifies what, who we are and what we're coming to the table with. So the experience has definitely been eye-opening and a positive one on so many accounts. And I post those things on purpose. I do it because it opens up dialogue and it shows people that a Muslim woman like myself can have relationship with evangelical Christians who are very devout and believe in what they believe but at the same time, we respect each other. We have relationships. Like, you guys know what's going on in my life. I, I know, for the most part, what's going on in your lives. So it's not just a working relationship. It's a family. We even take Huri to go ride a longhorn in Fort Worth, Texas. I have a great <laughs> picture of her sitting on top of this big longhorn. <laughs> okay. Stephen Grand, a, a real live liberal Jew. Oh, my gosh. So you're with a conservative Muslim, conservative evangelical, and you're a liberal Jew. You're not even a rabbi, man. You're a scholar. You're, I mean, it's got to be hard for you working around here, is it? Oh, Bob, it's terrific. It's, it's terrific for all the reasons that Hurry described. We, we share our stories. We share our lives with each other. And, you know, while our, our heritages, are, heritages are different, our perspectives are different, our beliefs are different, I think it base, our values are pretty similar. And that comes through in, you know, in, in sometimes the funniest of ways and sometimes very serious ways when we're comforting each other on something that's happened in our families. There's, there's been a loss uh, uh, that someone's had. We've been there for each other. We've been, been there for each other through COVID, which has been really, really important to have these friends, these really close working buddies who, who, are, who are there for you and have, have, had, our, have had my back in some pretty difficult times. I've, I've really, really appreciated that. And, and I've just enjoyed the, the, this culture where we all come from very different faith perspectives, very different traditions, um, but we can enjoy each other as human beings and we can enjoy each other as colleagues. And the jokes and the, the questions are, are terrific. Um, we're always asking each other, how do you do this in your faith tradition? What do you guys believe? What is it that you eat on this holiday? Why do you celebrate Ramadan? Um, what's the significance of heaven and hell in your religion? And the answers are fascinating. I, I learn every day. That's awesome, Steve. I, I'm curious about this. I mean, given what you do, your background, uh, you can Google Stephen Grand. Uh, you're, you're a very rare person. What's it like working with clerics? I mean, you're with a lot of pastors, imams, and rabbis. You're, you know, in the past, you're used to doing big seminars and events with Brookings and Atlantic Council and all this stuff. And now you're hanging around with a bunch of preachers. I mean, that's got to be weird for you. It, it has been a very unlikely journey, Bob. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm a foreign policy wonk. Uh, in my day job, <laughs> I, I work on the Middle East, of all things. Um, and I'll tell you, um, since 9-11, I, I, you know, I've, been, I've been very focused on, on the Middle East. I've been very focused on Muslim communities and Islam. Um, so to work with Hurry is, is not all that different. Uh, I've worked with many, many Muslims over the last 15, 20 years. To work with you evangelicals, that's new. That's different. You guys are different. It's fun, isn't it? It's just fun, isn't it? 
It is fun, Bob. It is. <laughs> what Especially the food we get to eat, right? <laughs> That's right. Hey, y'all have eaten some really good food, and I don't think you have violated kosher or halal yet. But uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. Let, let me ask you this. Why do you find it necessary to participate in multi-faith work? And what does it mean to you personally? Beyond just working together, that's been a blast. We get that. But what do you think, what is it about that, that, that you want to be in that space? We'll start with you, Micah, because uh, it's tough to be an evangelical pastor in this space sometimes. Yeah, so I would start with, um, Bob, going back to what I said earlier, that the idea of the, the image of God inherently um, present in every person. So that transcends multi-faith. That's bigger. That, that just means that every single person on the planet, in my mind, from a theological perspective, has intense value, dignity, and worth, and are worthy of my time, respect, love, and partnership. And that worth has nothing to do with what they believe or practice. It, it, it's there simply because they exist. And I'll tell you, it worries me a lot. I grew up in an evangelical context. I think you did as well, Bob, where we would serve people or befriend people so that we could get to tell them about Jesus. And I want to tell everybody about Jesus. He means obviously so much to me. My whole life is shaped around him. But I'm afraid that when we use like serving others or befriending others as a means to an end, and I think we should serve people and befriend them, but when we use that as a means to tell others about Jesus, we undercut um, service as a Christian virtue, and we undercut the value of people as people created in the image of God. We, we turn those ideas into just tools or means to an end. And so I think it's important that I tell people about Jesus. I do that all the time. I, he means everything to me, but I think it's important that I serve people because that's part of my Christian character as a, as a part of who I am as a follower of Jesus. I want to serve everybody. I think it's important that I befriend people because every person is valuable and inherently worthy and so ought to be someone that I should see as interesting, compelling, and have a desire to get to know them. And so for me, I mean, a lot of this is just intensely rooted in how I think about theology and my faith and the Bible and how all of this works out. And then ultimately, I think from a pragmatic perspective, I look around and I see so many conflicts globally that are some level rooted in theological belief. Uh, I mean, everything from the growing divide here in the U.S. to conflicts in Nigeria and Sudan. And I mean, we can, we can name all these places where, especially between Muslim and Christians, you know, there's this fighting. I want to be a part of, of bringing peace and not a part of, of seeing faith used inappropriately, mind you, but used as a tool to bring division. You know, I've thought about, uh, I'm reading right now in my daily Bible reading, I'm in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So nothing is more reflective of the family of God than making peace. But I think as evangelicals, we really don't think about that. What does it mean to make peace? We think about what does it mean to convert? But I mean, you're going to make peace with people. They're not necessarily Christians or not. But if you want to be a child of God, if you want to reflect the nature of the family of God, that peace has got to be there. You said, Micah, something I wrote in my journal 25 years ago uh, when I was working in Vietnam, and it became a chapter in a book I wrote, Serve Not to Convert, Serve Because You've Been Converted. And uh, my daughter uh, did a whole lot of work uh, with our church and did a lot of social work and still does a lot of that. And boy, she was always pushing, don't see people as projects. But I was raised that way. Now, now think how sad that is. Become their friends so you can convert them. 
even the phrase we have a phrase. Okay, I'm telling y'all our secrets, Steve and Hurry. We have this whole course. It's called Friendship Evangelism: How to Become Friends with People. Now think about that. How sick is that? I mean, it sounds good, and and the truth of the matter is, people who come to faith in Christ generally they become friends with someone. But I'm going to be your friend. What if you don't want to follow Jesus? Are you still worthy of friendship? Are you a human being? Should you make peace? I mean, I don't know that I've not, my theology has not changed in multi-faith. I'd say it's gone deeper, but my word, my value of people has gone up and how I see people and how I communicate has changed dramatically. But I had to get outside of that box and go work in a place like Vietnam for that to happen. Hurry, what about you? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, um, how have up, you changed? Yeah, growing up, I came from a family where my father taught us how to pray very young. So I was waking up early in the morning when I was five years old, waking up to pray the Fajr prayer, which is the pre-sunrise prayer. And th- that was something I kept with me throughout my life. And I think that always kept me stable no matter what was going on. We were immigrants here in the United States. Growing up in New York City, I didn't have a mother. Um, I'm the youngest of 10 kids. So my stability was my connection to God always. And I appreciate that. I'm so grateful that I had that. Otherwise, I see a lot of people who come from my background end up doing a lot of other crazy things that aren't so productive. And coming into this line of work, even starting to work at a mosque was was totally not on my (laughs) plan in life at all. And then working in the faith space and coming into multi-faith was never part of my trajectory. I think this was just a calling that God saw me as and saw where my talent was that he had given me and where I could be useful in this space. And then adding the fact that I'm a woman makes things a little bit more different, right? It, It brings in a whole different perspective, a whole different conversation. And as I started working with people from different faith groups, I really got to see a lot of what God talks about in the Quran when he talks about mankind in general, not Muslims, not who all you who pray like I'm, you know, Prophet Muhammad did. But he said he says all oh, man, mankind a lot in the Quran, and that goes for respect, love, dignity, justice. Even there's a verse in the Quran that God says you have to fight for justice, even if it's against yourself. Like you really have to be such a strong believer to advocate that for others, and that really resonated with me. So for me, when I think about multi faith. Me advocating for religious freedom for people of other faith is part of my worship of God. It's part of me acknowledging that I am doing God's work when I'm advocating for someone else's religious freedom, when I'm advocating for, let's say, Christian minorities in Muslim-majority countries or, you know, any other kind of minority in another majority country. And because it's not my comfort zone, right? Those technically aren't people who pray like me, but they're still human beings. They're the people that God talk about. And I want to emphasize on that because I think a lot of times we forget that we have to advocate for other people before we can advocate for ourselves. That's good, Hurry. You know, Steve Grand, I remember uh, I was talking to Daniel Langford. I said, man, I wish we could get him to work with us. And, you know, I just kind of thought, nah, that ain't, that ain't going to happen. But I thought, ah, we'll just ask and see. And, and you did. And I was actually shocked and excited at the same time. Uh, made my day uh, because you've had a huge impact on my life. I mean, uh, you are a part of the whole education process for me. I mean, I really didn't know you hardly. I knew who you were. But the first thing I went to 
uh, was the World Islamic Forum, where there were a lot of Muslims. And you were actually working that event uh, there in Qatar. And I met, I remember sitting by Abdullah Abdullah uh, from Afghanistan, and he and I talked a lot. And uh, I'm listening to you and watching all you, uh, you know, Brookings Institute people, how y'all related and going in the different sessions and learning a lot. So you made a huge impact on me, have continued to. Uh, I follow what you read and write and uh, the entities that you work with. Why has this been important to you? Because you've got a lot to do. Why does this matter to you? I'm really excited about the potential of this, Bob. You know, we're at a moment in our country's history where there's just tremendous anger, uh, in some cases, tremendous hatred. And that's not what our country's all about, in my view. We're a country that can do much better than that. And I see in the relationships that you and Rabbi Saperstein and Imam Majid have forged relationships that in many ways model the, uh, the relationships that the three of you have forged, those, those deep personal relationships that transit, transcend faith and transcend difference. Um, I'm really excited about the potential of those relationships between imams, rabbis, and pastors around the country have for addressing some of the big divides in our country now around religion, around politics, around race, around class. You know, there, we've now worked in 14 different cities and, and, and forged these incredible relationships among clergy. And now they're looking at their communities and saying, what can we do together? And I think that's really exciting. I think that's got huge potential. And it's, there's, a, there's a sort of defensive component to that, which is, you know, how do we make sure that, that no, some crazy doesn't burn one of our houses of worship? How do we sort of tone down the rhetoric? But there's also a very positive sort of more forward-leaning aspect to that too, which is what can we do together to better our communities? What can we do together to uplift the poor? Because that's really where our faith traditions overlap in terms of values. We all believe, uh, based on our scripture, in, in doing everything we can to uplift the, the prospects of the poor and make this a more equal country. Um, so that's what gets me out of bed every day. I'm excited by this. What do you guys see for the future of Multi-Faith Neighbors Network? You look at it, I mean, you all got here at different points, and uh, I think everybody who climbed on board climbed on running because it's just been growing faster than we've had staff or money, and but it, it's been a crazy ride. What, what do you see, Micah, when you look at the future? Where do you think this thing's all headed? Well, I mean, I do feel a little bit, Bob, like we're building an airplane while we're flying it, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. you're right. It's been fast and furious. It's been, frankly, growing faster than, not only than we can imagine, but really almost where we can keep up with. I mean, we're just, we're running nonstop. And and uh, so I think that is a reality. I, when I think about the future, I think about a national network uh, with international element. I mean, we're working in, in a number of countries globally as well. Um, where we help or help connect clergy together. But ultimately what I think of uh, when I think of the future of MFNN, we like to say that we're a hyper-local organization with national connections, right? And so ultimately what we're doing with clergy in St. Louis, uh, they don't care so much what's happening in Pittsburgh other than to maybe learn from Pittsburgh a little bit or Seattle or, you know, LA. Uh, what matters to them is how do we do something in St. Louis that matters for our city and helps us? 
I think we create a network of cities and we're at 14 or 15 cities now. We've got three or four more that we're adding this year where we're building deep, intense, authentic relationships among clergy. This is where I think we're so unique. Other organizations that work with other you know, groups of clergy, they do dialogue or they do service projects. And sure, we want to have dialogue. We want to do service projects. But our unique character uh, characteristic is we build friendships. We build authentic, deep friendships that are really, that look like you and, as Steve said, you and Imam Majid and Rabbi Saberstein. And then out of those relationships are going to come dialogue. Out of those relationships are going to come service projects. When things like Colleyville happen, you and Imam Suleiman were on the property almost immediately. Why? Because you had an existing relationship with the rabbi at the Colleyville Synagogue, the Congregation Beth Israel. I don't want to see more hostage situations globally, but I want to see more situations where when crisis happens, we have friends who are already in place, who relate well to one another and can immediately converge and serve the community to advocate for peace. I think that happens when we build friendships. And you and I know the data. The evangelicals are are a big part of the problem here. We don't have relationships with people of other faiths. Um, And so if if we can help bring these communities together where they genuinely love, appreciate, value one another and relate to each other, go to ball games together, eat in each other's homes, I think that can transform the way we engage both in moments of crisis and proactively trying to solve issues like hunger in our, in our cities, poverty, homelessness, refugee care, that sort of thing. Hurry, what do, what do you see for the future of it? So what I notice is that at Multifaith Neighbors Network, we have our mission and vision, and we're doing all this work with clergy and congregations in different cities. But what people a lot of times fail to notice is that our staff is reflective of that work as well. We're not all evangelical Christians. We're not all Muslim. We're not all Jewish. We're diverse, and we are going to be even more diverse. And I can see that coming because that is something we're paying attention to. But I don't think we paid attention to the fact that that work resonates itself amongst the staff and that that has built relationships where I never thought that I would be texting you, Pastor Bob, and and asking you about uh, advice on a personal matter, or Steve telling us what's going on in, with his, uh, you know, son's soccer um, uh, tryouts and, and college applications, or Micah telling us about Haddon and, and all the stories of how when he was adopted, it was so personal, and we get to see that story. And then Josh and Daniel and Dan Morrell and Ali and all of us coming together and knowing each other, not just from a work perspective, but we're a family. We know what we're, what's going on in each other's life. And I think that resonates a lot. That's a model other organizations would definitely want to use. But how did you come up to get to that, right? And I think leadership coming down needs to be very intentional in that. And then on top of that, having more women on staff coming on, having more women in the cities, especially Muslim and Jewish women, and, and, and Christian women who in, in areas might not get the chance because for whatever reason, interfaith, multi-faith work has always been um, led by men. But what we fail to see is that we need, women are the other half of society and we need them because their issues need to be uh, advocated for by women as well. I'm excited about March 6 and 7. It's our first annual gathering for Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. We're calling it the Global Faith Forum. And Dr. Muhammad Al-Alisa of the Muslim World League is coming, and he's going to present the Mecca Declaration. And it's a declaration that promotes religious tolerance and freedom and human rights. And he's, as the president of the Muslim World League, representing 53 Muslim-majority nations in the world, uh, it's just pretty incredible that, that he would come and do this. 
And the event has just blown up uh, between what happened at the synagogue and people in the area wanting to come, uh, some of the speakers coming. Th- these are these are world leaders, Nobel Peace Prize winners, heads of state. I mean, these are not minor people, but they're coming. They're our friends. We've gradually gotten to know them, and they care about the world. So I see this as not just an event or a conference, but, man, what an opportunity for us to come together, figure out how to keep building bridges in America, bringing the tension down, uh, promoting religious freedom and peace, and spreading it around the world. Uh, We've got some exciting things not at liberty to talk about, but hopefully at the event we'll be able to share with everyone that's going to have a huge impact in some uh, places. Why do you think this Global Faith Forum is such a big deal, Steve Grand. Why would you say, boy, as a Jew, I want to be a part of this, and, and I believe in it. Why is it a big deal? Well, I think it's a big deal, Bob, because of you know what happened in your very neighborhood recently, the, the Colleyville attack in Texas. It showed that religious hatred is still out there. There's still hatred towards other religions uh, ingrained in many, many Americans. And um, clearly, the most effective way to combat that, and you showed by your actions this, is to build these relationships across faiths, that uh, all of us working together to combat hatred signals that we're not going to tolerate this in our community, not in my community. And I think a large part of what we're going to be doing at the forum is, is just showing people how this can be done, how they can, in their own communities, build these multi-faith relationships um, that not only uh, are sort of an antidote against hate, but also can help better their communities. Just to build on that, that night, Dr. Alalisa will give the Mecca Declaration, and we're going to have uh, six phenomenal people respond. Rashad Hussein, the International uh, Religious Freedom Ambassador for the United States, is coming. He will be here. But here's what's exciting. Uh, the next day, all of the people who were at the event the night before it, they're the speakers all day long. They're not leaving. They're literally staying all day long, leading the sessions. The first session is not in my city. And Rabbi Charlie will be here along with uh, me and the people that were in the situation room uh, when that went down. Uh, the second session is reach out. And we're going to talk about practical examples of what people are doing. I think your wife, Paige, uh, is going to be a part of that, uh, Steve. And then the third session, Ibu Patel is leading. Leading. How do you build your organization out? How do you, how do you put it together? And then finally, Dr. Alalisa uh, is going to visit with the Jews about his trip uh, when he went to Auschwitz and lessons we can all learn from that. So it's incredible, the caliber of speakers. I mean, we're having people register. I mean, there's six people that have registered in the last few days. I thought, man, I, these are people who speak all over the world. I feel bad. They're just coming to our event. I want to Say, speak. We want to honor you, but we literally, it's, it's, it's crammed full. Michael, why do you think it's a big deal? Well, I mean, um, you guys have already sort of clarified the size of the, or the stature of the, the guests that are coming to speak and that sort of thing. But if anything, to me, it's a big deal because of the visible demonstration. Steve talked about this a few minutes ago, uh, the power of sort of the, the, um, Pittsburgh clergy coming together to cook Afghan meals, which I think is an awesome story. But the visible picture of Muslims and, and members of the Jewish community and the evangelical Christian community all together in one room 
look, it's not a multi-faith worship service. We're not, we're not trying to say that all of our faiths are the same, but it's an opportunity for us to come together collaboratively and say, we can stand together. And, and I'm an evangelical, so I've harped a lot on the evangelical thing, but look, evangelicals are not historically in this space. And I think that's a big part of why this matters. I mean, they're going to be there speaking on the platform, attending and being a part of the, the, the room, uh, our, our, our friends who are part of the minority faith in the U.S., like the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith, they have far more history trying to reach out and do this sort of thing than we do. And, and I'm just really excited to see a lot of our, our tribe there um, learning how to do this as well, Bob. And I think one of the things I'm excited about is just showing them how much fun this is, how much yeah. you and I get to have a good time doing this sort of work. You know, Mike, uh, uh, I did an event like this 10 years ago, and one of the things I didn't plan on was the impact it had around the world because Muslims wound up watching uh, the, the videos from the event. And it had a huge impact in places like Pakistan and Middle Eastern countries where they saw, you know, here's an evangelical promoting religious freedom for Muslims pushing back on Islamophobia in America. And I think one of the best things a Christian can do for Christians around the world is love a Muslim a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Jew, somebody unlike them right where they are. Because uh, more than a religion problem, I think it's a majority-minority problem we've got. And how do we deal with that? Hernessa, I'm going to let you wrap this up. Wow, okay. Hernessa. So, so <laughs> why, do you think, why do you think this is so important for the Muslim um, community to be involved? And what do you see as just, this is just very unique? I mean, it's unique on so many different levels, like Steve and Micah had mentioned. But for me, um, what, what I'm most excited about is the aftermath after these events and the relationships that are going to be built and the work that we're going to do going forward, because it doesn't end with the Global Faith Forum. If anything, it's a beginning for a lot of the cities yeah. that are coming in. A lot of people who don't know anything about Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, they're going to be exposed to the work we're doing and getting to see people around them and wanting to be involved. I think Muslims have a vested interest because, uh, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, the biggest group that hates Muslims the most in this country are the evangelical Christians. And to get them at the table in their cities and to give them the tools to interact with them is what they're mostly excited about. Because when I tell people that yeah, we're going to have evangelical Christians at, at this event, I have friends flying in from New York and, and different parts of, of the United States to Texas for this event because they believe in the work that we're doing. So I'm really excited in that sense to see the mobilization that's going to happen after these uh, uh, global faith forums that we're going to have. So I want to encourage you, if you've not registered, go to globalfaithforum.com and register. Uh, it's probably going to be a standing room only event. The registration is uh, for security. We're taking that very serious. People from the White House, the State Department, DHS, uh, will be here. Uh, some will be speaking, uh, uh, but all those departments will be represented. And so I, I want to encourage you right now, uh, because once we get to 2000, we're capping it. We're not going to have any more than that. And uh, But I want to encourage you to make it a priority. And can, can I just say this? If you're a Christian and you're listening, so far, uh, the number one group that has registered the fastest has been the Muslims. And the Jews are right behind them. We're going to have a lot of Christians, but Man, I want a lot more Christians to register. I want when the Muslims to walk in the door for them to see 700 to 1,000 screaming evangelicals that say, uh, we love you. We care about you. You matter to us. And uh, come. It's going to be fun. Uh, I'm not kidding you. It's going to be fast moving. Uh, you're going to hear 
a cantor. You're going to hear a recitation from the Quran by a father and son, which is going to be incredible. You're going to hear some good old black gospel music. Uh, you're going to meet some cool people. This is a rare event. There's no way in the world we can ever promise we will ever do this again. It's just too hard. I mean, to get these kind of people in the room. So uh, would we like to? Yeah. But once again, this ain't easy. So this is real. It's live. I want to encourage you to come. And with all my heart, I believe, hands down, we have a phenomenal staff. Uh, we've had people come to our staff meetings and outsiders for different reasons, and they rave over the uniqueness of the people that work together. Majid, after our last staff meeting, we were talking, there's something special, very special about this staff. I just want to tell you guys, I love you. I believe in you. I love working with you. You're a blast. You make this place what it is. I wish Ali and uh, was on this along with Josh and John, maybe not Daniel. He can be too serious sometimes, but except for serious Daniel, I mean, we have a blast. And I love you guys. You know, and just know this. There's not a day that goes by. I don't pray for you. I have your pictures in my journal. And I pray Jesus' prayers all over you. And I'll take your Jewish prayers, your Muslim prayers as well. But I love you guys. You matter. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this unlikely journey with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. And during this episode, you heard about this historic event in March of 2022 called the Global Faith Forum. It will be one of the first national gatherings of Christians, Muslims, and other faith leaders. We'll gather to discuss bridging the gap in our communities as the fear between faiths shouldn't be something that causes us to destroy one another and the world we live in, but to understand one another and move forward building resilient communities together. And you are invited. It's in Dallas, Texas, March 6th and 7th. Space is limited and it's filling up. So you can reserve your spot right now at globalfaithforum.com. For full show notes, links, and details of this episode, you can find those at bobrobertsjr.com or at boldlovepodcast.com. And we appreciate you joining us. And remember, at the Bold Love Podcast, we want to encourage you to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor, and how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. Thank you.